euthanasia became legal in Canada in 2016 without any pushback from the churches. Thank you, Laura Lee, for being my guest today. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know this is kind of a weird time and all of us have kids at home and stuff. So I really thank you for being on this podcast today. Well, thank you for talking about this topic because it's a topic that a lot of people don't want to talk about. So thank you for being willing to talk about it. No, it's important. I think we forget that. And as I get older and older, <laughs> be 56 this year, it becomes more and more critical for my own life as well. So yes, thank you for being here. So I, I want to kind of warm you up with something kind of easy and then we'll kind of dig into some of the deeper topics here. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received from anyone? Um, the best piece of advice I ever received is actually given to me in the idea of parenting, but it's become something I use a lot in the pro-life, um, being a pro-life advocate. And that was that you don't have to win every battle in order to win the war. And they told me that was in parenting, like pick your battles, pick which battle you're going to have because you can't win every single battle parenting, right? You'll just be in war all the time. But it's also that way when it comes to being pro-life advocates. Sometimes we, you're not going to win every single battle. You don't have to spend your entire day on social media fighting every single person. And you kind of need to think about which battles you're going to fight, which battles you're just going to ignore because the winning the war is actually the most important. That's important. That's a critical piece of it. I think sometimes we, because we, there will be defeats along. So if we give up as soon as the first time we lose a battle, then we get demoralized. But the end goal is so important. So you don't have to win every battle in order to win the war. And sometimes you need to walk away from a battle. <laughs> sometimes I think we get caught up on the little tiny battles. And because we're fighting this little battle over here that isn't even really that significant, we miss fighting the big battle, which could actually bring us towards winning the war. Right. Thank you. That's a good piece of advice. So tell us about your faith journey. Um, well, I was adopted into a pastor's family. So I grew up um, with Christianity. When I was five is when I realized that it's, some, it's a choice I had to make personally. It wasn't just because I was the pastor's daughter made me a Christian. So I became a Christian. I made that personal choice when I was five. When I was in grade seven, I rededicated my life to Christ, um, and then I was baptized in grade seven. When I was 16, um, I was at a point in my life where you're thinking about your life, where you're going to go to college, what careers you're going to have, and I was actually in a really bad car accident that I should not have walked away from. Um, every tire was, broke, was popped, every window was broken, and the part of the car where I was sitting was completely squished in and flat so how i walked away from that i don't know but when i walked away from that i kind of said you know i could have died like my life could have been over and i'm sitting here planning the rest of my life what my life is going to be like but it could just be done in like one quick drive and so at that point is when i said okay god you have my life like you pick the career that i'm going to go into and I ended up going to the States because I'm from Canada. I went to the States, went to Bob Jones University, and I studied communications. Um, and I was in the States during 9-11, and um, I came home to take one semester off. I got married, and then the American government wouldn't let me back into the country. They got, like, super strict for about six months on who they would let come back in under student visa. And for some reason, I don't, to this day, I don't know why we were flagged, but we were flagged. And so I wasn't able to graduate. So during that time, I was really frustrated 
no, God, I want to serve you and I'm trying to do your will and what is happening. But I've seen through my life that God has just placed me in the places he wants to be. And sometimes we think, you know, what does God want me to do long term? But we don't think, what does God want me to do today? And we just, if every single day you do what God wants you to do today, then in the future, you will be where God wants you to be. So I found is that the communication classes that I took, and I was very close to graduating, it was one semester short, um, God has used those opportunities and I've been able to work in churches, I've been able to be a public speaker. Um, and shortly after I stayed home, I was able to meet my birth mom. And that actually started my journey into being a pro-life advocate. So when I told God that I was gonna have, give him my life and do whatever he wanted, he didn't show me the whole picture. He just said, go into communications. So I think it's really interesting that when we give God our life, just follow him day by day, and he will take you down that path that he wants you in. Sometimes if he showed you where he was actually taking you, you might not get on the path, right? So just trust him for today. <laughs> yes. Exactly. It's like, no, thank you. That's yeah. Is there option B to this path? So what started you on this pro-life ministry that you're doing? Because like I said, I look at your website and you have a lot of really high quality videos. And so kind of tell us what got you started doing what you're doing. Well, like I said, I met my birth mom shortly after I was married and she was a Christian. And so uh, we were invited to speak. And it was my mom, who's a pastor's wife, and then my birth mom, who had also gone into ministry after uh, getting her life right with God. And She'd married a really good man, a godly man. So the three of us started going places and speaking. And so I kind of got into being a pro-life advocate, more talking about adoption. That was kind of the avenue that I started in. Then I started to get requests just for me to come in and speak specifically about abortion. And then the one time someone said, and by the way, because around 2016 is when euthanasia became legal in Canada, so someone said, could you just touch on euthanasia? So I thought, well, I'll do a little research. I'm sure there's lots of pro-life stuff out there, you know, give me ideas of what to speak on. And I really couldn't find anything. I found two or three short little videos, but nobody was really speaking on it. So then I began to think this might be something that we need to speak more on. As a pro-life ministries, we can't just ignore this um, part of it and only think about abortion because being pro-life is from conception to natural death. So then I began to do more research on that. I found that in Canada, the way our churches are here, they're much, and it's partly it's because of just our Canadian um, way of life, our customs, that you, you don't really talk about taboo things. You don't talk about politics. You don't talk about anything that'd be difficult. And so our churches tend to be more focused on helping the poor, which is good, um, feeding the poor, kind of doing that social justice type thing. But they don't really want to talk about things that would be considered political. And abortion is considered political and euthanasia is considered political. So I found that churches really weren't willing to have pro-life advocates in. But people in the churches really had questions about this and they weren't being talked about. So that's when I started doing the videos and podcasts and kind of doing more social media things on the topics, which is where my videos came from. Have you gotten much pushback on your videos? I'm just kidding, because your, your videos are really high quality. Have you gotten pushback from the church or encouragement from the church? Not encouragement, for sure, not encouragement. 
I don't get pushback because when I speak to people in church, like pastors, they're almost all of them, not all of them, unfortunately, but almost all of them will tell me they agree with me personally. Like, oh yeah, it's a really important issue. I'm glad you're doing that. But they don't want to talk about it because they don't, well, what if there's someone in our church? If people come to church, they should just have a good experience. And that's an uncomfortable topic. So, which is why they don't really want to talk about it in church. But youth, but that's more abortion. Euthanasia is different. I very rarely find someone who agrees with me, even Christians, on euthanasia. Most people have this idea that euthanasia is um, the picture they have is someone in the hospital, you know, about to die. They're probably going to die in a couple hours, and you're just maybe upping their morphine a little bit and making them more comfortable, and maybe you give them. A little more morphine than you should and you just kind of speed the process on that's the picture that they have and that's not the reality at all um, and I could talk a little later about some specific cases but you have people who are completely healthy they're like there's no there's nothing saying that they're gonna die within the next couple of years who are getting euthanized so it's not at all the picture that people have if people knew what was actually happening I think their position on it would change. So take us deeper. So tell us what is actually happening. That people maybe, because you said we have a misconception of what euthanasia is. We're just kind of maybe moving the clock up a couple hours. Tell us what really is happening behind the euthanasia movement. Okay, well, I have a couple of stories here. I want to make sure that I get um, some of these names right. But okay. um, So I just want to look up here. Okay, so... One of them, one of the stories is actually from just this month or maybe last month. So it was very, very recent. So there was a woman named Nancy Russell and she was 90 years old. So her, the law says technically that you have to, death has to be, has to be in, um, what's the word, imminent, right? So you have to be able to show that death is coming. So if you're 90, basically just her age was the only thing saying that death was coming soon. So she lived in a retirement, like in a retirement home, and because of the COVID virus, they've been in lockdown really since March. So over the summer, that lockdowns became a little less, and people were actually able to go in and visit. But then the lockdowns came back again in Ontario just a few weeks ago, like completely locked down. So before the lockdown came in, she said, "I don't want to do this. I don't want to be locked away again," and she was told. Look, if the lockdowns come or when the lockdowns come, if you die during the lockdowns, you're going to die alone. Your family can't come in and be with you. But if you get euthanized before the lockdowns start, which was like a week, like less than a week away, then your family can be with you. So she was euthanized simply because she didn't want to go into another lockdown and pass away of old age during a lockdown without her family. So that that is a vi that's the most recent um, story that I have. Wow. But that is clearly not somebody dying who's just getting a little bit of extra morphine. Um, another. That, that's shocking. Yeah. And that that's very recent um, because we've just been in lockdown now since December 26. So that's been within the last month that that happened. Uh, there's another story that became kind of popular, unfortunately. Um, Matt Walsh talked about this. Um, so a lot of times Canadian stories, some of these horror stories get told in the States because of that. But her, their names were George and Shirley. 
and they were in, lived in Toronto. So they were both in their 90s. They've been married for over 70 years. They were living on their own. So they weren't even, have, they were still bathing themselves, feeding themselves, cooking, all of that stuff. They decided that they wanted to die together. So they picked the date when they were gonna die. They had a huge party with all their friends and families could come over and say goodbye to them. Then the night before, they actually went out to dinner with their extended family as a like goodbye celebration. So this isn't someone laying in a bed about to die. This is somebody who could get in a car, go to a restaurant, order food, eat in a restaurant, and then the day of their death, they had their children come to their home. They had their last meal together with their family. And then they went into the bedroom, laid on the bed together and held hands. And in the news article, it said, and then they received death. So they were just were given a needle and killed. So once again, this is not the picture that people have um, of euthanasia. This isn't somebody about to die. They could have, my grandma is, quite a few years older than them and she is still doing great so they could have lived quite a few more years there was another case of a woman named Candace Lewis and she was 25 and she has thankfully she's still alive she has spina bifida and she um, got sick and so her mom took her into the hospital so she was in the hospital and the doctors took her mom out into the hallway and her mom's name is Sheila it took her mom out into the hallway and they said, the best thing you could do for your daughter right now is to euthanize her. And you're being really selfish by keeping her alive. And they tried to pressure her mom into having her euthanized. And she said, my, my daughter is just, like, I just brought her to the hospital because she's sick. Like she's a happy person. She lives with me. Um, like I take care of her. Like she's never mentioned death. She's never mentioned wanting to kill herself. But they tried to persuade her. So she ended up, being afraid to leave her daughter's side while she was in the hospital. So eventually her daughter got better and she was able to bring her home. And she said now she's afraid if her daughter gets sick, she's afraid to bring her into the hospital because they're going, what if they just decide on their own to euthanize her? Uh, so that was, those are some of the cases. And here's a case, uh, case that is really scary. It's not just one case, it's quite a few. In 2019, so that was just obviously not that long ago, there were 18 organs and 95 tissues that were donated from people who died by euthanasia. So we know that if you donate organs, you can't be really, really sick and full of diseases and then donate your organs. That's not how organ donations work. So this is people who are going in to be euthanized and then have their organs donated. And once you start looking at how organs are donated, you can't be, um, like if you're in a car accident and you lose your head and your head's, say your body's in the car, your head's on the, on the sidewalk, you can't donate your organs because you are completely dead, right? I'm not gonna get into the topic of organ donation, but you have to be just brain dead. You can't be actually dead dead to donate your organs. So thinking about the process of someone who's been euthanized and then their organs are being donated, like what, how does that happen? Like what is the process of that? And in the news article, and I can send you the link to that, they're actually saying how euthan the fact that people are being euthanized now is helping 
the industry of organ donation because now there's more organs to be donated because people are being euthanized here in Canada. So it's definitely not the picture. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's just shocking. Yeah, so the idea that people have is not the reality of what's happening. So how do we get here? I mean, I know it's different in Canada, but how did Canada get there? Um, it started, so when I, the actual, um, this law that became passed was in 2016. And I can actually remember, I was driving my daughter to a birthday party or to pick her up from a birthday party. And I had the radio on, it was just music playing. And it was, you know, the top of the hour, they do the news recap. So the top of the hour, and they just, and it was a Christian radio station. And they just said so plainly, oh, and this law, this is the name of the law, um, will probably be passed, it's going into session, and this will give people the right to die with dignity. And then they just moved on from that. And I was like, wait, what? When did, I had no idea this was even happening. The churches never, there was no pushback from the churches at all. Most people, when I would talk to them and say, even actually that day when I got to the birthday party, there's other parents there. And I said, I just heard that Canada is getting a law, like that euthanization will be legal. Like, what, does anyone know what's happening? And the Christians' reactions are just like, yeah, that is so sad. Wow, our world is really going downhill. Anyway, so, and then they go on with life. And like, just stop for a second. We are murdering people. Like, this doesn't bother anyone. So I feel like part of the reason we got there was because the church here in Canada, the, people will personally have concerns about it, but it's just not spoken about. It's just not a big deal. No one seems to really care. Um, but we've also have this idea that, you know, people who are smart and beautiful and athletic, that their lives are more valuable than somebody who isn't as smart or who, you know, maybe has disabilities, that somehow one life is more valuable than another life. And once we start placing, once your value is based on what you can do, then if you can't do those things anymore, then your life isn't worth saving. So just the fact that we don't understand where our value comes from is going to eventually lead to this. That's a critical point. I think, yeah, you're right. What can you, what value do you have to society? And if, if you stop being a value to even your family and become a burden, as mm -hmm. soon as you reach the burden stage, what's the point of you being around? So that's a dangerous right. slope to, to going down as a, as a people and as a nation, as Christians too, mm -hmm. I think. Wow, this is just shocking. Yeah. I, I, I knew it was an issue because I remember I, I was in Michigan when Dr. Jack Kevorkian was rising mm -hmm. to fame and he was really pushing euthanasia death or dignity in Michigan. And it became on the front pages of our discussion. But again, I don't think like you, like you point out, people realize the slippery slope that euthanasia is because at what point do you mm -hmm. stop? At what, at what point do, can we decide what life is valuable and what life isn't valuable? Yeah. And that slippery slope is a lot more slippery than we think, because like I said, it was only 2016 that euthanasia became legal in Canada. And we were told in 2016, this is just going to be people who are on the brink of death, you know, about to die. Um, and that was 2016. And now, about four years later, we're killing somebody because they don't want to go into lockdown. So that was a really fast slippery slope. Is there anything that you would give advice to the church 
about this and, and how they should address discussing this with their members? Well, I think for starters, they need to start just educating themselves. And I hate that term so much because <laughs> people, I know they always say that if you don't believe the same thing as me, go educate yourself. So I don't really like that term, but this is a topic where you need to know, you need to take a stand. This isn't a, a topic that you can be in between on. You're either okay with killing people or you're not okay with killing people. So they need to do some research, look at some of the stories, make a choice, and then in general, just stop being so afraid. The Bible says, Jesus said, they're going to hate you. They hate me, they're going to hate you. So if everybody loves you and everyone thinks your church is amazing and they have no problems with you, you're probably not doing everything right. Um, so take some stands and just be willing to um, to take the heat when it comes. Yeah, that's important. They didn't like Jesus either. They won't like us either if we're doing what God called us to do. Is there anything I haven't asked you that I should have asked you? Exactly. Um, well, I want to talk a little bit about um, if you know somebody who's thinking about euthanasia, like how to talk to them about that. Because that's something that I actually deal with quite regularly. Um, we are a Huntington's family. I don't know if you know what Huntington's disease is, but it's a pretty brutal way to die. And two of my daughters are at risk of Huntington's. And we watched their birth mom pass away from Huntington's two years, three years ago now. And I'm on a Facebook page for families who deal with Huntington's and more than 50%, quite a large amount of the people on that page are planning on being euthanized. That is their plan. And so I think as Christians, we need to know how to talk to someone who's thinking about that. Um, the first thing that I would say is to start by not talking and by just listening to what they have to say, because no one decides that they want to be euthanized. Just it's not like deciding to eat a chocolate bar, right? You make that decision and you've decided or you're thinking about that. There's a lot of sadness and there's a lot of hopelessness. It's just like talking to somebody. It is suicide, right? So it's like talking to somebody about suicide. So not to sound angry, not to sound judgmental, just to start by listening to what they have to say. And when I listen to people who are either considering euthanasia or have already written it down in their, I find two things that every, it always comes down to two things. One, they're afraid to be a burden to their family. And two, they're afraid of a really slow, painful death. It's those two things. And so when we talk about being a burden to your family, to let people know, once again, their value. And I know for my girls at the last probably four or five months of their birth mom's life, they visited her every single day. And I was there to watch that. And those days were valuable to them. And if they could, if right now they were told you could have one of those days again, they would take that in an instant. And she wasn't able to talk to them. And she wasn't difficult. It was difficult for them at that point. But they still were able to be with her. They sang to her. They read to her. And I was able to see how important all those times were with them. So you're not a burden to your family. And if you're listening to this right now and you're thinking about that, you're not a burden to your family because your family being able to take care of you and love on you, they're going to need those memories. 
um, after you've gone. And those memories will be special to them. So let your family love on you. Let your family take care of you. And you aren't being a burden to them. You're giving them something for them to think about and remember after you're gone. So that is the first thing. You're not a burden to your family. And the second thing is, yes, death can be scary, but everybody dies. We have to remember that death is a part of life. If you're alive right now, you're going to die. Everyone dies. And we can't be afraid of that topic. We can't be afraid of the topic of death. And some people's journey will be more difficult than other people's journey. And you might have a more difficult journey coming up. You might have something that's going to take longer. That might be more painful. But not to give up, to keep fighting. And when you fight through and you fight as long as possible for life, you are doing something. You are impacting society because you are showing society what life is. That it's not just about being comfortable and having a great life. That when things are uncomfortable, that you keep fighting and you keep fighting every single day as long as possible. You are helping society by doing that. You're helping us be a better society. So your journey might be more difficult than someone else's journey, but just have courage and be strong and keep fighting. Those are the things I would say. Yeah, those are important. I think the being a burden part is, I think, something that really resonates. I think a lot of people at the end is, I don't want to put more more pressure on my family, but you're right. Every single moment, I, I would have wished for my, when my mom passed that I had more time, mm-hmm. more of a conversation. So, yeah. No one thinks back to a family member they've lost and been like, man, I had too much time with them. <laughs> right. <laughs> Everyone is like, I, I would love to have one more day with them. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Because how can my listeners find you and what you, the work you're doing on social media and other platforms? Um, yeah, well, social media. Um, I just deleted my Twitter account this week. And there's a pretty good chance I might be deleting Facebook as well. You can find me uh, on Instagram under Lauralee Ministry, but I think my website would probably be the best place to get a hold of me, and that's at lauraleesiemens.com. I don't think that those of us in the pro-life industry are going to be on social media very much longer because they're just kicking people off. And going direct, I would say not only my website, but other people's websites who are in the pro-life fight to just find their websites and pin them so that you can find them easily and go directly to the websites. It's going to be your best bet moving forward. Well, thank you for this amazing time. This conversation has been eye-opening for me. I learned a lot myself, so I pray my listeners will as well. So I want to thank you for an amazing time of growth today for my, with my guest, Laura Lee, for sharing her story and how God is using her to promote pro-life issues, not just with abortion, but euthanasia, just the whole gamut of how important life is. I want you to, if you want to go deeper, you can find my blog at at the title called The Light Breaks Through at www.alightbreaksthrough.org and get similar content right in your email box. And also you'll be able to get the podcast there as well. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast. Take the time to rate it, review it, leave a review for me. You'll find this podcast on all the major platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeart too. I invite you to share this podcast with your friends, especially those who are dealing or thinking about this whole euthanasia issue in their life. Thanks once again for joining me on this life transformational journey.
Thank you.